David isn't just a king. He's also a prophet, a man who speaks God's words on God's behalf. And nowhere do we see that more than in the Psalms. On the Bible Brief. Want more Bible learning content like this? Sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social media. Links are in the show notes to this episode. Psalm number 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is one of the most famous songs in all the Bible. Many people have heard it, whether they've set foot in a church or not. It's a song written by none other than King David, the shepherd of sheep that God raised up to be the shepherd of his nation, a man after God's heart, writing a song of comfort. The psalm begins with perhaps one of the most content thoughts in the whole Bible. With Yahweh as their shepherd, his sheep will never be wanting. He will always provide what his sheep need, and he will always lead them in the right way to go. He will restore every soul who needs it. This great shepherd will even prepare a meal of abundance in the darkest of valleys when the enemy surrounds and fear threatens. His shepherd's staff will protect and comfort. Finally, at the end of the days of life, his sheep will dwell in God's house forever. Psalm 23 overflows with a contented attitude toward God. A trust so full that no matter where God leads the sheep, the sheep will follow their good shepherd. David wrote many such lyrics in the great Psalter of the Bible. The Psalter, also known as the Book of Psalms, is a unified, organized collection of songs about God, his relationship with Israel and mankind, and his king who will come from the line of David. The Psalms are an endless well of encouragement and relational honesty. They express the great joys of following God and some of the great struggles of life as one of God's sheep. One song will celebrate God's deliverance saying this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. While the next song will wonder at God's apparent absence saying, How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. These great songs demonstrate the fullness of life with Yahweh and the real human struggles to understand exactly how God works, why God waits, and when God chooses to deliver or not. You can understand why many of these songs could be penned by David himself. He had a breadth of experience that few have. He was a young shepherd who fought lions and bears to protect his sheep. He was an anointed king, and yet kingdomless for over a decade. 
He ran from the king who should have embraced him. He sought refuge in the midst of his Philistine enemies. He hid in caves, in forests, and in strongholds. And yet after many years, he was anointed king over the twelve tribes. He succeeded in his battle for Jerusalem, and he was given a time of rest as king over united Israel. David's experiences of fear, of trust, of doubt, of faith, and of triumph gave him a deep well to draw from as he wrote songs to Yahweh. Yet David is not merely a songwriter. He's also a prophet, a man who speaks the words of God on God's behalf. David's prophetic function is as important as his kingly function. Because while his kingship is a picture of an even better future reign of the Messiah King, his prophetic words describe this reign more fully. Listen to Psalm 110, the most quoted psalm in all the New Testament, and especially listen to the first words, these words that describe Yahweh's statement to David's master. Psalm 110, a psalm of David. Yahweh's declaration to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion, from Jerusalem, your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, I have begotten you. These first three verses describe Yahweh declaring something to someone superior to David and elevating this person to the very right hand of God in heaven. This great master, this descendant of David, and yet David's Lord, is then directed by Yahweh to rule from Jerusalem and to defeat his enemies as his willing army assists in vanquishing his foes. And in the third verse, we see that this Lord, this master over David, has been begotten by God himself, speaking of Yahweh's direct involvement in the birth of this Lord. In this psalm, we're already getting a picture of an ultimate king ruling over his enemies from Jerusalem. But we can't stop there. We continue with verse 4. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Right in the middle of this psalm is a new development in God's plan for this king who will come from David. We find out that he won't merely be a king. He will also be a priest. The two separate offices will be united in this one person. He won't be a priest like the Levites in God's tabernacle. No, this priest king will be a priest like the one Abraham met when he was returning from battle. He will be a priest like Melchizedek. Remember him? Melchizedek was the king and priest who came out from Jerusalem to Abraham with bread and wine and blessed Abraham and blessed God after the battle. He was a man so superior to Abraham that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything he had to honor this priest-king. Well, Melchizedek is not just a forgotten figure to history. About a thousand years later, we see from David in this psalm that God is going to make this king from David to be similar to the priest-king Melchizedek. He will not only rule over the people, but he will represent the people before Yahweh in a priestly capacity. He will be the one with the sacrifice, and he will be the one with the scepter. A remarkable development for this great Messiah to come. The psalm ends with total victory and satisfaction for this priest-king from Yahweh. 
We read in verse 5 and following that, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. The Messiah's victory over the nations will be complete. He will judge them, destroy the resistors, shatter their leadership, and he will reign from Jerusalem over not just Israel, but over the whole earth. Just from Psalm 110, we can easily see that David's prophetic calling was as important as his kingly calling. He wrote down words from God, oaths from God, promising even more than the content of that great Davidic covenant. We had already seen from that covenant that David's seed, his ultimate descendant, would sit on his forever throne in Israel. We had seen that he would have a relationship of sonship to God his Father. But this psalm expands our understanding of this coming Messiah. As the Son of God and the seed of David, he would also be David's master, a king over the whole world, and a priest-king like Melchizedek, begotten by God himself. We're beginning to get a picture of an individual who is unlike any who has ever come before. The greatest person to walk on the face of the planet. The king over everything. The great priest for the people. And the great conqueror of the world. It's no wonder that Psalm 110 has several references to another psalm at the very beginning of the Psalter. Listen to Psalm number 2 as the nations feel threatened and plot against this Messiah. Psalm number 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together, against Yahweh and against his Messiah, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill in Jerusalem. I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 begins with the useless plotting of the nations and the kings. They're plotting against Yahweh and the Messiah, trying to loose themselves from God's rule over them. Then we get a picture in heaven as God laughs at their foolishness, before he shares his plans for his Messiah. The plans for his son are to install him in Jerusalem as king, as owner over all the earth, who conquers the nations and breaks them as if they are nothing. Finally, after this description, a warning comes from the heavens, warning the kings and the rulers of the earth to be wise. Submit to Yahweh, pay homage to Yahweh's son. Fear, lest you perish. Worthy words for the proud rulers of our present age. Yet the psalm ends with an abrupt note of hope. A place of refuge away from the wrath of Yahweh and the king. A place of peace in the midst of worldwide tumult. And that place is the son himself. Somehow, 
people will be able to take refuge in the Son of Yahweh, so that they are blessed in His peace instead of cursed in His wrath. We can learn from David's prophecies in the Psalter and other similar songs that the world is headed for something amazing, something unlike anything that has come before. The world will see a Son of God, a descendant of David ruling on David's throne, exercising dominion over Israel and the nations, acting as a place of safety and as a priest for those who take refuge in Him. This Messiah is coming, and the expectation continues to mount as the Bible unfolds. God is getting ready to do something big. Yet here we are in about a thousand BC. David has written many songs, and he's heard God's great promises to him. He's enjoyed seeing the great works of God in his own life, and he's experienced fellowship with Yahweh in profound ways. David is blessed as he walks with God through his life, trusting him like a sheep and a shepherd. His walk with God, however, is interrupted as David's eyes begin to stray from the straight path. Soon he looks out and sees the fruit. He desires it, he takes it, and he eats it. David may be king, David may be prophet, but soon David also becomes murderer. Join us next time as we see one of David's great sins. A sin involving a woman, a faithful husband, and a plot to murder. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023